Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for This Needs to be Said. I, I love when a conversation gets to continue. And gosh, Chris, I don't remember when we met exactly. I don't know where you were in the project um, with Wilmington on Fire, but I remember being able to interview you for that. So we're getting ready to, I'm going to give you all who are just new to this conversation an introduction of Chris Everett, the director of Wilmington on Fire, a documentary. And I'll, I'll let him do it so I don't screw it up because there's also a part two and it's on Prime. And I think that um, the story that he shares is so moving and the time that it takes to go into a documentary that I've learned from interviewing him and others who do documentaries, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And yes. to make sure that the information is conveyed in a truthful manner so that people can walk away with knowledge they didn't have before. So today's conversation for me to continue with Chris was about um, the January 6th insurrection at, on the Capitol. And I'm just wondering if there, if he has thought of a comparison, we didn't talk before this mm -hmm. other than, hey, Chris, will you let me interview you on this? And he said, yes. Yeah. So I don't have any pre-scripted answers. <clears throat> I don't already know what he thinks. I don't know if he's gonna compare it or not, but that's what our conversation is about when someone Another one group takes it into their hand to right or wrong, but it costs right. other people their lives and it's violent. And um, this, whether it's legal or not, is not right. It's not morally right. And we see these things and we continue to be surprised. And Chris, welcome to This Needs to Be Said, because I can keep talking, but come on <laughs> in here. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you, you, you brought it up about Wilmington on Fire. Uh, well, Wilmington on Fire. It's my first documentary film. Um, it's been out for a while. Right, um, but yeah, just um, about when you were talking about Wilmington on Fire. Wilmington on Fire, it's my first documentary film and it's a feature length documentary on the 1898 Wilmington massacre um, that happened November 10th, 1898 in Wilmington, North Carolina. It was an actual coup d'etat. Um, an overthrow of the government. And back then, Wilmington was, a, I guess it was a mixed city. It was slightly um, majority African-American. Um, and also it was really what the New South was supposed to be after the Civil War, where you had everyone working together, but you also had African-Americans um, when uh, had a lot of leadership um, roles um, throughout the city and the county. Mm -hmm. um, but also they were involved heavily in, you know, in politics, business, um, and real estate as well. And so this whole white supremacy movement um, at the time wanted to destroy this whole fusion movement of whites and blacks working together. And that's what caused the 1898 massacre in Wilmington that really changed the landscape throughout North Carolina because that event set up um, the Jim Crow era throughout North Carolina. And so the film is about that. And you brought up January 6th. Um, yes, yes. Actually, we actually, uh, with uh, Wilmington on Fire Chapter 2, it focuses on Wilmington today. So what we did was start from last summer um, during the height of, of a lot of protests that were going around, uh, going on across the country. Uh -huh. um, with the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, we were all in lockdown with, with, with COVID. And also people were talking about removing Confederate statues. So you saw yeah. that happening across the country and they were doing the same in Wilmington. And so there was a lot of activity going on in Wilmington. I said, you know what, I think we have something here. And so we started going out there, um, capturing the protests that were going on. 
and just started following and documenting these stories. And also, um, this was around the time when Trump was trying to get reelected again as well. And so mm -hmm. Trump, Trump came to town. Um, we decided to find out where the Trump rally was going to be at, and we went out there. <laughs> and so Ooh, that was brave. A, yeah, you know yeah. What so I me and my camera guy. About, Go ahead. I always think about when you guys are doing um, documentaries, like. Mm -hmm. I want to see the documentary, but like I don't know what you have to go through. Like that we went through a lot. This me. one, this one was this one was very dangerous. What we did, um, because like I said last year, during the height of the protest that was going on, especially in Wilmington, um, we were out there filming, and it was like a standoff thing with with the protesters and the police. Police were out there. You're going to see this in the film. This is the beginning of the film of okay. the police out there in full riot gear. Um, you know, shooting the rubber bullets at us. I got hit a couple times. Oh. Um, they putting out gas out there. I dropped my camera a couple times. You know, so I had like three camera guys out there, and we captured all of this that was going on. And so we we had certain situations like that happen several times. Um, wow. Going to the Trump rally, documenting that. Um, that was an experience <laughs> as well. Uh, and then also, and then after that, you know, the, 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 the election happened, Trump loses, and then January 6th happened, right? Mm -hmm. and so I'm at home chilling, um, just doing some work. And my wife calls me, she says, hey, uh, watching the news? I'm like, nah, they turn on, like, they are actually trying to overthrow the government. I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I turn it on. And soon as that, I think later that day, I got emails and calls out the woodwork. Everybody's hitting me up saying, man, we're doing a story about this plus the 1898 massacre. Mm -hmm. We want to get your comment, commentary on it. And also one of my camera guys, he actually lived in DC at the time. He actually was able to capture some of this as well. And then also we found out that some folks who were, you know, Trump supporters and stuff like that from the Wilmington area actually went and participated as well. And so, you know, it was very, very similar to what happened um, in, in Wilmington um, with the coup there. Um, because a lot, like I said, a lot of media outlets were hitting me up, wanting to do panels, wanting to do um, interviews about the two events, you know, January mm -hmm. 6th and November 10th, 1898. And they were very similar, very, very similar in regards to, I would say, the buildup. Because I remember back in November, I think, I think right after Trump lost, I was doing some podcast interview for a TV thing. And I told him, I said, man, it wouldn't surprise me if something like what happened in 1898 happens again. I don't think it's gonna happen all the way, but there possibly might be an attempt because there's you know, folks talking, people are talking on the internet. You know, people are saying, man, it's just the climate and the atmosphere mm -hmm. that you know, these folks have built up it's very similar to what happened in 1898. And then we saw it, January 6th happened. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, so yeah, so to me, it's very similar to like the buildup, um, the propaganda, and then also folks within government that really hyped it up, try to fall back and say, hey, we had nothing to do with that. And they did the same yeah. thing in, in Wilmington in 1898. Wow. Well, interesting enough, I didn't get as many calls as you because I didn't do the documentary, I'm sure. <laughs> but I did get an inquiry and said to me, hey, you remember that interview you did with the guy on Wilmington on fire? I said, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, do you think that you can get him to come back to do mm -hmm. a comparison between that and the insurrection? Do you think that he would compare the two? I said, I don't know. I'll ask him. So it just, 
I mean, just like you, I was, you don't know what people want to hear till they tell you. Yeah. And then once it's on their radar, they're following up and it's, yeah. you know, I owe it to the people to bring you back, Chris Everett. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. tell me. Yeah, anytime, um, give, anytime, just reach out. Give me, give me some, give me some more, um, give me some more comparisons that you made. You said the, they were overthrowing the buildup. So, so give some of the people who are just hearing you for the first time and your work with Wilmington on Fire and 1898, what would you say was the build up, build up? Like, what would we have noticed if we if we knew to be looking for it? I would say, I think the build the biggest thing of that build up was just the media of how, you know, I know one thing they were talking about, um, the Democrats stole the election. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's another thing is that, you know, they stole the election from you guys. You know, Trump should be in there. Um, you guys should definitely stand up and rise up against this. You know, they're taking your freedoms. Um, you know, black people are getting all this. Hispanics are getting all of that. Um, mm. And it was the similar, same thing. But back then you didn't have, you know, the Hispanic population like you have now. Back mm. then it, it was black and white. That was it. Okay. And so they used a lot of those same, um, you know, media pitches of saying that black people are getting all this money. Um, they're getting hired over you as good white people, um, and you can't have that. And so you need to do something about it. And so, you know, it's like you see the same playbook now, but they're adding other uh, minorities um, into mm-hmm. the mix. You know, they're adding Hispanics. They're adding, um, you know, the gay and lesbian community um, mm-hmm. as well, transgender communities as well, Middle Eastern communities. So they're adding these other communities like they did, like they've always done with us. And, you know, mm-hmm. those were some of the similarities as well. And then once you just keep building that and building up and creating that sense of fear and panic, um, and then also they know that you're not going to, to do anything. And see, that was, that was the main thing with the whole 1898 massacre that really set the tone, um, 1898 all the way up until now, is that when the massacre happened, when they actually overthrew the government in Wilmington, now, prior to what happened in Wilmington, there were several attempts of doing the exact same thing that they did in Wilmington and other places in America. But when they did it, the federal government came in, stopped it, and then intervened and then set the government back in place. Um, when they didn't do that in Wilmington, that pretty much set the signal um, to the rest of the United States that, okay, the federal government's not going to intervene. You can do whatever you want to. And that's what happened. And that's when you saw the Jim Crow laws pop up throughout North oh, Carolina wow. and mm-hmm. other places as well. And then other racial massacres and events happened. And then you constantly start seeing that um, throughout history. And so when you don't hold people accountable uh, and you don't um, you know, stop it in its tracks, people are going to continue to do it. And that's when January 6th happens. You know, people were talking about doing this. People were doing, you know, similar smaller things throughout our country, nothing was what nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, no one was getting prosecuted. So when you do that, you're going to build something like this. Something like this is bound to happen. And that's what happened. And yeah. still, they still really haven't, they still really haven't uh, prosecuted these folks to the fullest extent of the law. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me again if another attempt, we've saw, saw, seen it in the media where people still yeah. have tried to attempt. Um, several other um, events or try to create another event similar to what happened January 6th. So I think until, you know, we open our eyes as, as a country, 
um, you know, because this is not only our issue as Black folks. This is a whole country. You know, this is our country as well, like it's everyone else's. And I think as a country, we all need to, to realize that we're here. We've came here by different means, um, but we're here. And we, in order for this country to, to grow and become better, we have to work together. And that's what they realized in 18, you know, before the 1898 massacre in Wilmington. That's what made Wilmington successful because they realized that we all got to work together. And mm -hmm. you had the, this faction of people that want to destroy that and we got to realize that we still have those same type of people that want to destroy progress in this country but we mm -hmm. have to stay ahead of the game um, to not allow that to happen remind uh, me and inform the audience with wilmington on fire what mm -hmm. ended up being the the era of rebirth for them because that was such a tragic time mm -hmm. Um, hold on. Repeat your question again. My fault. Yeah, let me let me yeah let me try to ask that question better. <laughs> like, what was the turning point? Like the right. the the massacre happened, but then what? Because the insurrection happened, and we're living in the but then what? Because right now it looks like right. nothing is happening to the people who they're getting a tap on the wrist if they're being right. you know right. spoken to harshly at all. Right. right. But um, when you finish your documentary with Wilmington on Fire, what did you see as they knew that was over and it was time for the for for everyone to move forward. Well, what happened, you know, um, you know, after the massacre in Wilmington, uh, you know, they were able to get their folks in political office throughout North Carolina. Because really, it just wasn't a massacre that happened in Wilmington. This was a statewide movement of white supremacy. You know, they did other coups as well in New Bern and other places throughout North Carolina. They weren't as wow. bloody okay. as the Wilmington one, but they actually overthrew several cities um, in North Carolina. But they Wilmington has always been, I guess, the biggest one because it was North Carolina's largest city. And I think it was its most um, bloodiest as well. Um, that's why that one always gets kind of, you know, hyped up over the other ones that was going on in North Carolina at the same time. But okay. what they did was totally, you know, total control of the whole state of North Carolina politically. And then so what they, how they were able to do that as well and to keep that stronghold throughout because they were looking, you know, 40, 50 years ahead and they wanted to maintain power um, throughout the state. And so what they did was create um, the Jim Crow laws, meaning one, in order to keep political power, they had to strip African-Americans their rights of voting. And so one of the first um, rules they put in was the grandfather clause. Um, George Roundtree, who was involved in the 1898 massacre, he actually um, pushed for that legislation. And mm -hmm. people aren't familiar with the grandfather clause, pretty much is a clause where um, you can't vote unless your grandfather was a registered voter, you know, an active voter. Mm -hmm. And so that totally eliminated African-Americans because there a lot of black folks, grandfathers were, were, were slaves, you know? Wow. So, so that pretty much eliminated um, black political participation. And so they set up all these other segregation type things as well on train cars and everything. School funding um, got reduced a lot to black schools. And so you started to see the disparities grow even wider over the next you know, 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And that's how they were able to solidify this thing and just really take control of North Carolina to put African-Americans, they would always say, put the Negroes back in their place. In their place, isn't that something? Yeah. So it sounds like 
what ended the massacres was a certain group uh, Mm -hmm. whose name won't be mentioned. A certain group (laughs) decided that they're going to be in power. So they've done these these moves. They they have thought 50 years out. So what we are seeing, I I think, and and you're the historian, I'm not here. um, We have not really turned away from that part that they put in place. No, not at all, not at all. I mean, it's still, it's still, like I said, that's why I like to study history. Because when you look at history, you still see the same things they're doing. Yeah. They tweak it a little bit. Like I said, uh, back then in the 1890s, you know, it wasn't Hispanic, gay, lesbian, and all that. It was, it was strictly just black and white, period. And so you would see a lot of um, the slander and the, the degradation of, of how they, they, put the, the portrayal of black people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it's some crazy stuff, you know? And so you really build this, this, this stuff up and you have a lot of, you had a lot of white people that really thought that black people were this way and they, they weren't at all. And so you even had, you know, so-called white allies that began to believe that propaganda as well. So when the massacre happened, you know, no one would say, hey, you know, people would pretty much say, hey, you know, they actually cause it on themselves. Um, mm-hmm. It's time to move on. And so you kind of see that in today's society as well, you um, where you see the same type of propaganda um, pushed throughout the media, especially with African-American and African-American men, especially. Um, but, you know, to go back to January 6th, um, you know, like I said, it, it was really about creating that climate and allowing for the climate to erupt and you know, it all started with the uh, the former president really um, making the claims that the election was stolen. Yeah. Um, and you know how they're they're trying to get him, bring him down. Because even when I went out to that rally uh, when he came to Wilmington um, to make his speech, and we were out there interviewing folks, they were always saying the same thing. You know, this is September; the election ain't even happened yet. <laughs> they all were wow. talking about how you know they're trying to steal this election from him. He's the best president ever. Um, and, and all this, you know, stuff, you know, that's their right to, to vote for whoever they want, but it's not their right to, to cause violence and try to overthrow the government either. You know, yeah. we, we have an election and, you know, we, we elect who we want. And if they don't win, oh, well, we have to go back. You have to go back to the drawing board and, and promote your candidate and hopefully they can win. You know, yeah. but these people wanted to do like in 1898. They didn't want to wait to do that. They just wanted to overthrow the government and just re-put their person <laughs> back in there. And yeah. that's what I said. And that's why I think a lot of people um, compare it um, to 1898 in Wilmington because with the Wilmington thing, the elections in Wilmington weren't going to be until the following, um, I think the following year. Mm-hmm. I think the elections that were going on were just for the state level. You know what I'm saying? So what they did was they cheated throughout the state and pretty much did a lot of voter intimidation and things like that and were mm-hmm. able to win throughout the state. But they didn't want to wait for the Wilmington election because Wilmington was North Carolina's largest city. And if you can take over Wilmington, the rest of the state would follow. And so mm-hmm. they decided that we're not going to wait another, you know, to next year for the Wilmington elections. We want to go ahead and do this now because we already won across the state. And mm-hmm. this is this is our state and it's also our city. We're no longer going to be ruled by Negroes. And so let's go ahead and just take it over. And that's what they did. Mm. 
So if you don't like something, just take it over. That really sends a message yeah. to your children. And, and you saw, yeah, yeah. And you saw it. That's what they were trying to do on January 6th. You know, they yeah. don't like, they didn't like that their guy didn't win. And so mm -hmm. we're going to storm the Capitol and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And that, that was scary. It's scary to watch. It's scary yeah. to realize that we've come so far in time, but we've not come so far in behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think about things like, it, it feels defeating. I'm going to say that. I know that it makes a difference, but it feels defeating to keep saying, hey, hey, we're not the bad guy. Hey, right. hey. And trying to be nice and um, hug them and kumbaya, but they're, you know, screaming and storming the Capitol and using uh, by any means necessary um, to take back their country and the separation. And it just tickles me that those people that did that, they would not want someone to leave them out of a group, especially put them in harm's way. And even I, I found it ironic, the woman who got killed, her family was upset that she got killed. Hmm. Like, yes, be upset that she's no longer with your family, but they acted like she got, it was wrongful death. You broke in right. to a pub. You are not supposed to be in there. You right. forced entry. That's what happens to people who do that, whether it's right. my family or, right. or your family. If they break right. the law, something might happen to right. them. But Even you know, if they this, don't break a law, something might happen to them. But you but, know this now. But you know this now when it's the opposite way, when it's one of us. It's different. Um, you know, they bring up our criminal history if we have one, or if we mm. didn't have one. Well, you almost say, had one. They're going to bring that up. Yeah, or if you like, if your brother or sister might be, oh, yeah. you know, have some of a past, they tie all that in and they say, well, you know, you should have been doing this and that. Yeah. And, you know, but you, you see the, the, the difference um, yeah. in, in the coverage reporting. But that's why it's so important for folks like yourself and independent media out here. I'm so thankful for independent media mm -hmm. um, where we can have a balance. And also, me being an independent filmmaker, you know, yeah, to absolutely. be able to make films like this and have and to create these type of discussions and dialogues that happen. Absolutely. I thank you for your work. I remember coming on North Tryon here in Charlotte and there was a screening at the charter school there. Yeah, yeah. And some of the people, I came one of the night and, and you may do this every time, but the night I came, you had panel, a panel discussion mm -hmm. and people that were a part of the film, some yeah. of those people were there. And that was, it was just, and I say cool, like, it, you know, like it was just like groovy, but it was, it was good to be a part of the creation of that, right. that history. And I'm, I want to tell you again, while we're recording, um, congratulations for getting that documentary on Prime for everyone to be able to see it. Yeah. And um, it definitely since the part two will be coming in the near future that they can connect the two. And now that um, we've had something similar to 1898 happened that it would be something that gets people back to looking at Wilmington on fire and definitely ready for and it and it did two. and it did yeah. uh you know I think last summer like during like when we were on lockdown because of the pandemic um the murder of George Floyd and the removal mm -hmm. of Confederate monuments I saw an uptick of support mm -hmm. of streams and stuff like that and also I've had I had certain celebrities reach out that checked mm -hmm. out the film you know, people that I that actually grew up with, like um, Jason Weaver, the actor. Um, really? Um, yeah, yeah. He sh he shouted me out on Instagram last summer. That's man. He so said, Yo, cool. 
Yeah, and it's like people like that, like um, Jason Weaver, um, Erica Alexander from Living Single. Yep, I um, know. Yeah. yeah, she shouted me out. She actually did a, um, she interviewed me for one of my screenings, my virtual screenings last year. Nice. She did the other uh, panel. And so being able to, to get folks like that and also um, Hillary Burton Morgan from One Tree Hill, that mm -hmm. TV show from back in the day, she, she reached out and heard I was doing Wilmington on Fire Chapter 2. She wanted to get involved because she lived in Wilmington for for a long time when they were when they were filming that show mm -hmm. back in the day, and you know she loved the film. She saw what I was doing with part two. She said, "Hey, I want to help. Um, if you need me to be a producer on it, let me know." And so we made it happen. You know, she's like an EP on it on part two. We also got support from Peyton Reed. Um, people might be familiar with his work. He directs a lot of the he directs those Ant Man movies for Marvel. Um, really? He supported. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with this work. Yeah, so he supported. I didn't realize he was from Raleigh. He's from North Carolina, and he went to wow. Chapel Hill. And so he's been telling people. He, he emails me from time to time. I think he's out in the UK right now filming Ant Man three, but uh, he emails me time time to time to see how I'm doing with the film. And nice. so we've kind of you know since last summer all the way up until January sixth, we've been getting a lot of support, not just from the local community but also folks outside of that community, like celebrities and, and, and famous folks um, wanting to really um, help with part two and getting that out there. So folks are excited about it. Now, can't wait. The, the goal uh, right now, we're starting post-production next month. Mm -hmm. um, November 2022 um, is when we're trying to premiere. So definitely be on the lookout. I definitely will be. And you know, you always have an open door here. That's no, no fluff. So cool, let cool. me know as soon as we'll um, do. We'll, well do. as you're posting stuff and I'm nosing yeah. around, that's your way of letting me know. Yeah. Um. Let I'll keep my eye on you for that because I I'm interested to see uh as it continues and what else you're you're working on, and if there's any screenings and since we're getting yeah. more into the virtual world, if you are wanting to in TBS Media to host a virtual screening, let me know. Let we'll me know. <laughs> we'll do yeah, I want to um, see you yes. be great keep doing because I plan on doing I plan on doing some virtual things because like last last year uh, we started dabbling with virtual it's been pretty good I've been getting some good turnouts with you know mm -hmm. panel talks some screen like I said I did the thing with Eric Alexander mm -hmm. um last year went well we had like I think we sold about 300 tickets you know what I'm saying? That was all virtual too. It was, it was cool. So it's like yeah. we want to do more of that because you're able to to reach reach a wider audience, more convenient as well. And also we want people to be safe because COVID is, is real and it's still exactly. Out there. And sometimes stuff that we need isn't in our community. You don't always get to go to it if I buy a ticket to your event. And I'm just being for real. If I don't have money to buy a ticket and put gas in the car to get to your event or right. to eat, you right. know, then I got to make a decision. Right. I want to come, but I can't really enjoy yeah. myself. So it, it I'm the same sense. way because I'm the same way because I think my biggest thing is parking. Like I can't yeah. stand going to an event and especially like, you know, I live downtown Durham, right? So now, I'm, oh, you know, boy. it's easy because I can walk everywhere. But I know like going when someone has a screening downtown where there's no parking mm -hmm. and you're like, man, I'm not going because I just can't stand not being able to have the convenience to park and park for free. You know, I don't feel like yeah. trying to pull out my credit card and pay the parking meter and, and try to find somewhere. Nah, man. You know, so. And then think about, <laughs> oh, I, I only put this amount in. I better make sure I leave right. the event by this time or whatever. But it just, it just takes a lot of that out. I'm not knocking right. going to a physical event, but I'm right. just letting whoever is listening know that doing a virtual event can be the thing that gets more people in, especially 
when we're talking about um, our history repeating right. itself, it's, I, I think we are both at the age right now that we're seeing things from when we were younger repeat itself and our young people yeah. are saying, this is new and you're going, yes, not, but we used to call it this, you call it that. Right. Um, so just different things. It tickles me when I hear slang. I've never really been like a hip person to do slang right. My friends <laughs> say, I always say it proper. Like, <laughs> so, but I like trying it out. I like trying it out. But when I right. hear a new word, you know, that the young people are talking about it, it just, it don't, I don't know what it is. I want them to teach it to me. However, I'm not knocking, you know, that, but um, the, ah, get my tongues together. My tongues together. Um, I lost my thought, Chris. But what I want people, I think more people need to be able to get to um, historical stuff. And it, it is a shame that the people who need it don't have access to it. That's what right. I'm trying to get to rambling right. on. But you're, you're doing an event by you doing a virtual event that gives it an opportunity because right now, um, the government is trying to make sure everyone has broadband service, which means everyone can get on the internet. But we know with people being on their phones, they can get on the internet anyway. Right. And we now have unlimited data. So that means they can stream that movie on Amazon Prime, uh, Wilmington on Fire. They can do that and it's not going to eat up their data and they can right. get some history right in the palm of their hand. So yeah. you've done some work a long time ago and you're seeing it gain some more, some more waves of momentum and moving into your part two. So your work, you can see it's paying off. I hadn't been there for the whole journey because um, I'm not a part of the project, you know it closer than I do, it's a lot of hard work. And to see right. it paying off, right. I'm sure that feels really, really good. Oh, it's great. And you know, I like that also, it's opened the doors to do other projects. Um, also a, another great film where um, I'm almost done shooting that. It's a martial arts documentary. Um, it's yes. about, yeah, yeah, Grandmaster, the Vic Moore story. It's about Grandmaster Victor Moore. He's a martial arts pioneer from the 1960s, four-time world karate champion, um, one of the, uh, the pioneers of the sport when karate first became a sport. Um, he was like the chief instructor uh, for one of the first uh, professional martial arts organizations in this country, the USK. And wow. so he's still around. He's here in North Carolina. And well, I so remember you, been were, filming you gave yeah. me some, a little bit of um, some nuggets, I think, yeah. um, Maybe a couple of years ago? Was it how long yeah. have you been working on a project? About three years, about three or four years. Documentaries take a while, I see. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and that's <laughs> the thing. Uh, you know, we've been filming, you know, last year we didn't do any filming because of COVID. Of course not. Yeah. And so we just started back a few months ago and we're we should be wrapped with everything we need by the end of the year. Then we can I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's I'm cool looking, I'm looking yeah. forward to any of your work. Don't get me wrong. Thank but you. when you told Thank me you. about that one. Because it is, when I, speaking from my experience, Bruce Lee was the martial arts. So black people yeah. didn't do that. We right. did it because we learned it from someone else, but not someone in our community. Right. And that's, so, why, and that's, and that's why I wanted to do this film because we're, that's what the film is about as well. Not only oh. him, but also um, him teaching these two young guys as well. And we've been following their stories, but also how um, martial arts really did a lot for our community that we don't even know about and how these were our heroes, people like Vic Moore and Moses Powell and all these guys, you know, they were like superheroes to us because they weren't, they weren't in the movies in Hollywood, you know, Hollywood didn't really let a lot of us in there and the ones they did really didn't do much. Um, yeah. So it's like, these were, these were the heroes in our communities. And so that's why I want to really finally give um, these men and women 
um, their flowers. Um, and I plan on doing more Black martial arts documentaries. We're actually, the next one that we're thinking about doing is about Linda Denley. And she's a, a Black woman. Um, one of, pretty much she's considered one of the, the best female martial artists ever. Um, she was, she's won all type of world championships from the 70s through 80s. She's mm -hmm. still around. She's in um, Houston, Texas. Her nickname back in the day was the Texas Terror. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, we're, we're actually um, talking to her next week about some stuff. And we're going to try to get that one going right after we finish Vic Moore's documentary. Well, I hope you all the best. I know that um, you're going to do something amazing with each project. And I'll be right here wait, waiting to interview you and, <laughs> and screen it. And, and however I can support you with what resources I have. Um, tell people how to get in touch with you outside of this needs mm -hmm. to be said. This has been wonderful. So thank you so much. Well, nah, tell thank how you. to get in touch with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Thank you again for giving me a platform to just, you know, talk about what I'm doing. Um, but anybody can reach out to me anytime at spellerstreet.com, spellerstreet.com. Also, they can hit me up at wilmingtononfire.com as well. So both of those websites has, you know, the contact information or ways to contact me. Wilmingtononfire.com, you can contact me on there. Plus, you can find out where you can actually watch the film. So if you want to watch it on Prime, you want to watch it on Quelle TV, or if you want to order a DVD, you know, Christmas coming up. Um, so it's coming up. Yeah, Christmas so, you know, order a DVD for that, for that special person, you know, that loves history or untold history, um, definitely get a DVD for them. Um, but yeah, so WilmingtonOnFire.com, SpellerStreet.com is the best way to reach out to me. Awesome. Chris, until next time, you have a super day. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to This Needs to be Said. I hope you've gained something from what has been shared. Send me your comments and show ideas through the website at tntbsmedia.com. I'd love to hear from you.